Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Market moving insight and analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with David Faber, Mike Santoli at the New York Stock Exchange. Kramer has the morning off. Market was bracing for a strong retail sales print, but 2.6x auto and gas is nearly three times the estimate, strongest in nearly two years. Speaking of the two-year, uh, two-year yield hits 4.66. That's the highest since November. Our roadmap is going to begin with Tesla, though. Strong start to 23, shares up 74% and rising again ahead of the open. Plus, we do have Meta's warning. It's not an earnings warning. It's company executives warning that despite that rise in the stock price, well, the company's not quite out of the woods. And call it the Airbnb boom, posting his first annual profit. CEO Brian Chesky saying no matter what happens in the world, people want to travel. We're actually going to begin with a Tesla rally today. Stock, as we said, up more than 70% so far this year. A number of uh, news points on the stock today. Uh, going to shut some, ch- uh, some China production to uh, make some upgrades for the Model 3. But the bigger news is opening up its charging network uh, to uh, qualify for some federal dollars. Yeah, so um, probably, you know, a net positive, uh, not necessarily core to the immediate uh, stock case, uh, but a net positive not to be kind of at odds with the government basically install itself at the center of, uh, of the EV infrastructure more than it already is. Um, you know, yesterday, the reason the NASDAQ was positive was Tesla and NVIDIA. Um, they, those are two stocks that have kind of moved together uh, over the past several years. They have very similar valuations again. And, and now you, you can't even really attribute the Tesla move to, well, shutting the Shanghai factory, uh, kind of swings in pricing. It doesn't look like earnings estimates are, are, are kind of being rescued. They're going down for this year and next. But we're back in the excitement mode about uh, not just uh, the general push to, a, to EVs, but Tesla's advantage within that group. Uh, what I find interesting, uh, David, uh, October 27th of last year, mm-hmm. stock closed at 225. Okay. That was the day the Twitter deal closed. So it went down to 109 from there. Um, the, the late, the fourth quarter dump in Tesla, obviously to Musk himself selling, but also just this general sense that the, uh, this unstable uh, kind of finances at Twitter, maybe it was going to leak over into Tesla somehow. Now it's been reversed and we've had a rediscovery of a lot of the 2020, 2021 uh, kind of favorites of growth. Uh, and, and now what's interesting is the street's kind of chasing Tesla right now because the consensus price estimate is like 200. The stock's above 200 right now. It's going to open, here you go, 212. Um, as I said, 225 was the October 27th level, and that was down from over 400 at the peak. So if you want to contextualize all these moves, it's massive snapback, uh, revival off of, you know, really kind of washed out levels, or at least a huge test of the long-term conviction of people who've been with Tesla for a long time. You know, is it indicative of sort of this I don't know if I want to call it animal spirits. I'll leave the language to yeah. you, Mike. Uh, in the market a, a bit here because it's re-engaging sort of retail investors once again with a name that they've loved in the past. It obviously must have hurt for some period of time. There's no doubt it is. Um, it, it's not 
back to those levels that we got uh, of excitement. And there's two ways to play it. One is that, oh, we're back to their old tricks. You know, they got burned in this area before, and now retail just can't stay away. On the other hand, for, to get a bull market, you need people to get more bullish. And so you have seen the, the overall sentiment picture perk up. I would say if it were, if it were just kind of the high valuation uh, kind of glamour stocks like Tesla and NVIDIA that were working along with the low quality, you know, left for dead stuff uh, at the end of last year and nothing else, you'd worry. But semiconductors have broken out as a group. Um, you do still see parts of industrials doing very well, consumer cyclicals, consumer finance. So it's not to me uh, a matter of the market uh, being, uh, you know, kind of having blinders on and, 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 and just going back to the fun stuff, so to speak. <laughs> right, yes. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk some semis later on as well. Uh, by the way, Barclays today, uh, big initiation note, 259, no, 89 pages in which they do name Tesla, Rivian, Mobileye, some top picks. Uh, initiate uh, Tesla overweight 275. Uh, they like GM over Ford. Um, and they have some interesting thoughts on, say, autonomous, where they say we're entering a trough of disillusionment, uh, given some of the hiccups in getting that software to understand how to drive by themselves. It is interesting um, that you essentially have had this rethink of whether that's core to the whole premise. I mean, I think where, where they, Barclay settles down on, on Tesla within the universe is, is a familiar place, which is such a head start, such a margin advantage to begin with. Um, the rest of the companies have to remake their uh, kind of antiquated business models. The whole, the whole story we know. The question is, what do you pay for that today? Um, and what you're paying for it right now is 50 times forward earnings. So you're back in that zone of you really have to believe great things and acceleration and results. Is that where we're back to, Mike, yeah. 50 times again? You're yeah. back to about I mean, 50 We had Gary forward. Black on, obviously, a huge Tesla bull. Um, his ETF has not done particularly well, yeah. but he owns a lot of it. And he was talking about huge earnings numbers, which obviously would take that multiple down, in his yeah. opinion, because of all the gains they're going to make in so many different areas. Yeah. Uh, no, you're back to 50 just about Five zero. Um, on a forward base. I mean, right. you had huge declines in earnings forecast for this year and next after yep. they, they, you know, they came out with those recent results. So it was, uh, you know, it was a, a definitely kind of a step back in terms of the trajectory of earnings. It's not that you, you've kind of unwound the profitability. It's very, it's profitable now. Yeah, you know? no doubt. Um, and and quite so profitable. It's a different discussion than it used to be, which was on the way up, um, you know, you could argue with how, the hype behind the stock, it was like fake it till you make it for years. And he was faking it and he was goosing the stock and he had his retail traders capitalizing this company way in excess of what, what the business and was. And he was able to actually and then you, he fund made the business as a result and of then, selling it. Yeah. And so I guess that's where we are. Well, credits and zero cost to capital doesn't, doesn't hurt. No, exactly. It doesn't. No yeah. marketing. By the way, I don't know, Carl, did you see this? The auto work, the autopilot workers was. In New York State, in Buffalo, a oh, unionization, yes. unionization attempt. Yes. Yeah, that was that. What yesterday. is up with Buffalo? It's like the, I, I, the center for it's all. The center of union basic. activity in the country, apparently. It's the <laughs> same know. people who were behind the um, potentially the yeah, Starbucks, Starbucks unionization, yeah. but something else. I, I somehow I think Musk and unions. I don't <laughs> see not, that working work. out. No. Well, speaking of Tesla, you can't talk Tesla without talking Twitter. And the Twitter CEO did say this morning that he might be able to appoint his successor by the end of the year. Take a listen. I think I need to um, stabilize the organization um, and just make sure it's in a uh, financially healthy place um, and that the, the, the product roadmap is clearly laid out. Um, so I don't know, I, I'm guessing probably towards the end of this year, 
um, which would be good timing to um, find uh, someone else to run the company. David, you've reported on succession there. I Is have. that too long to wait for Tesla shareholders? I think it's longer than people, than I certainly anticipated based on the reporting I did from, a, what, a, a six weeks ago or so. You know, Musk, even prior to putting out that poll, was certainly querying people, some people that I had spoken to about who, you know, do you know anyone? Who do you think would be a potentially good CEO? There seemed to be a lot of activity around finding somebody at that point. Um, clearly, that's not the case, and uh, judging from his comments. And I do think... Not sure how that will be received. Again, there was so much focus on Twitter and Tesla. And Mike brought this up. And obviously, we saw the fall in the stock price in part because Musk was spending so much time on Twitter. And yet, that seems to have passed, despite the fact that he is still in charge. He's still CEO. And now he's saying that he may not find somebody to replace him in that role for, let's call it, another six months uh, or more. Um, surprising, perhaps, to some, I think, who would hope that he would put somebody in charge there sooner. But it doesn't seem to be as much of a concern any longer to investors. No, I mean, not not a clear and present one, I guess. Um, and I don't know if we have a window on, on you know, Twitter's actual, you know, need for financing, right? This idea, because I, I always felt as if investors were, if you wanted to say, what's my worst case scenario with Tesla? It is, you know, some kind of continued stock sales that, that Tesla is going to be Correct. this. I mean, Twitter's going to be this kind of sinkhole of capital. And that's the where it's going to come from. Uh, and, and who knows what else down the road, you know, in terms of trying to have uh, bail out Twitter. But I don't know. It seems like they, they got past the debt payment. They did uh, for now. Twitter I mean, he's did, obviously yeah. he's cut costs dramatically there. We've talked a lot about where they are in terms of staff and they started at close to 8000. I've heard reports that they're down to around 2000. People have told me he has said to them, at least that, you know, he thinks he could run it with 500 people. That may have been hyperbole. But um, They've cut costs dramatically. He said that they're okay now. At least he's tweeted that uh, in terms of that. But it's still a distraction. It's still something he's spending an enormous amount of time on. And there are those who are Tesla shareholders who certainly would want his focus to remain not solely because, of course, he's got SpaceX and so many other efforts, but certainly more on Tesla. For his part, Musk says publicly, hey, you know, I sleep six hours and the rest of the time I'm working seven days a week and I get to everything. Maybe it's an arrow in their quiver. I mean, there's this platformer report uh, last night in which they argue he forced the algorithm to boost his tweets by a factor of a thousand. I mean, that's not uh, insignificant for a company with no marketing budget, right? I mean, Twitter is the marketing budget. Yeah, Uh, sure. I mean, there's no doubt that it's an asset. To me, it's 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 not so persuasive that that's um, that's plan A for Musk taking over Twitter. It seems a little more of a visceral move uh, or whether it's, you know, uh, ideological, visceral. He simply likes to have that that platform. Um, but yeah, I agree with that. that. That you know, Tesla doesn't spend money on 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 marketing. He stays in the mix. Again, w- at what point does it become a liability? Because you know, you seem not to be, you know, in a, in a smooth and seamless way figuring out what Twitter needs. You're you're the CEO on display every day. They're tweaking things constantly with the platform, how it works. Yeah. Um, you know, subscription plans. No, it's etc. But yeah, I, I mean, I think it's uh, it's probably some kind of a net benefit. Also, the question is, what kind of CEO job would it be if he would? If, well, once he hires that may somebody? be that may be one reason why he's had a harder time finding <laughs> yeah. people. I, you know, I, I do believe that if he could have found somebody who would have checked the boxes he was looking for, but it's going to be difficult because, of course, he's still going to be the boss, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that can that can be hard. Although he has had longtime employees and senior levels at Tesla for quite some time. Sure. Um, 
but uh, you know, we yeah, still and don't have SpaceX, ha really, yeah. and SpaceX is uh, sorry, yes, even more so, perhaps. Uh, that said, we still don't have a, a great deal of transparency in exactly what is going on at Twitter. Um, and none of the banks, by the way, uh, as, as far as I'm aware, have tried to even get out of their uh, their commitments in terms of selling it down. So we don't have a market value in terms of the value of yeah. the debt at this point. We'll see. All right. Still to come this morning, uh, the president picking uh, Fed Vice Chair Brainerd as his top economic advisor. In fact, she's expected to start next week. How might her departure impact the Fed, the dot plot, and policies to battle inflation? We'll talk to former Fed Vice Chair Alan Blinder. Take a look at the futures here as we do keep an eye on the yield curve today. Two years off the session highs of the morning, but still uh, near 464. Squawk on the Street continues in a moment. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. Rick Santelli here live at CME HQ with breaking news. We're looking for our January read on industrial production and capacity utilization. And just to put a uh, face on it, industrial production before this release has seen four out of the last six months negative and utilization rates at 78.8 are at a one-year low. We're expecting improvement in both of those. Uh, unchanged, unchanged is industrial production month over month, unchanged. And if we look at the utilization rates, they actually moved down from 78.8 to 78.3. And 78.3 would be the lowest uh, uh, month over month rate of utilization since May of 21, May of 21. We see that interest rates are still biased to the upside. That really has been the case since the big jobs report on the 3rd of February. And we are now seeing revisions creep in. Last month's industrial production minus 7 tenths ends up down 1%. And last month's 78.8 becomes 78.4 on utilization. And Squawk on the Street will return after a short break. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. The president shuffling his economic team and tapping Fed Vice Chair Lael Brainerd to head the National Economic Council and his top advisor on inflation. Joining us this morning to discuss, former Federal Reserve Vice Chair himself, now professor of economics at Princeton University, Alan Blinder. Alan, welcome back. Good to see you again. Good morning. 
of course, author of A Monetary and Fiscal History of the United States. On, on Brainerd, Alan, I'm wondering, um, you know, the easy read right now is that her move basically removes a net dovish participant to the dots. Is that the most important thing? I think it is. I mean, in, in the fullness of time, her job at the NEC may prove more important. We don't know what's going to happen with that. The NEC is involved in many, many, many things, and she'll be good. So half of me is happy about that, but the other half of me is sad for the reason you just said. Uh, I think this is, this is a point in time where the Fed has some crucial decisions to make, and it's starting to divide along hawk-dove lines, which has not been true for the last few years. There's been no reason for the Fed to be divided that way, but it's starting to get divided that way. And it seems clear that Lael was the leader of the Dove faction, uh, and now she's going to leave. Uh, does any of the recent data, I'm thinking uh, the last payroll print and obviously retail sales today, uh, make you worry about maintaining any kind of dovish stance? It does. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, I was extremely disappointed in the change in the seasonals. I had been talking about and writing about the very sharp decline in inflation during the year 2022. There still is a decline. But with, this, the, with the revisions in the seasonals, which rarely happens, um, that decline is not as dramatic as it was. And then you had jobs very strong, of course, and retail sales. So, yeah, there is reason to uh, rethink, I think, and I am rethinking the notion that we were uh, on a very nice glide path to a soft landing. Uh, it's less clear today than it was uh, two weeks ago. It's interesting, Alan, because as always, the the investor discussion around Fed policy swings a lot more dramatically than the Fed's own stated message about these things. I mean, if you look at it, they've been saying all along, look, we can't consider the job against inflation done. We expect the uh, the terminal rate to be above five percent and the market maybe doubted it in the face, you know, in the absence of, of persuasive economic data that were substantiating that. And now we're there. Um, and so I guess uh, perhaps even though Brainerd may be, you know, leaving the, the board, uh, Chair Powell himself has not, for example, said, well, unemployment really has to start going up a lot before we consider ourselves to be at a place we want to be with the Fed funds rate. Yeah, I think the Fed has felt the need to show its teeth, to growl and snarl a bit, to try to get the markets in line because they were getting way ahead of themselves. Uh, as they always do. I mean, this is not new. Markets are much more mercurial than the uh, Fed is. Maybe now that the markets are sort of coming in line with the Fed's projections, um, there'll be less of that snarling and growling. We'll see. Alan, you mentioned a, perhaps a, a, a growing division between uh, hawks and doves. How much does that matter? I mean, uh, versus where Powell is and and just what's the dynamic like in terms of why that would be something that's important to keep an eye on? The main reason it matters is the debate that goes on inside the chairman's head. The chairman, any chairman, that includes Powell and include previous chairman, even Greenspan going way, way back, looks around the room, figuratively speaking, and counts noses and looks at where the vote is. Now, if he doesn't like it, he's going to try to change it and push it in another direction or in the limit, actually uh, push the committee to the side in another direction with dissents. Powell hasn't had many dissents to deal with since he's been chair, and they're in general fairly rare 
on the uh, on the FOMC. But the the main thing is a battle for Jay Powell's mind, uh, and Lael Brainerd was an influential part of that battle, and now she'll be gone. Of the important uh, questions at the moment, Alan, uh, before we let you go, um, any thoughts on where you think the terminal rate uh, should be? And uh, on the curve inversion, I think we I think we might have gotten to 88 basis points. How, how relevant do you think that is right now in the context of conversations about recession? I don't worry so much about curve inversions. I think markets worry much, much too much about that. What they show you, of course, is the Fed is tightening and the long end of the yield curve or the medium end, whatever, depends which kind of inversion you're looking at, is, hasn't responded as much as the short end. That's very no, no, normal for, that in general is very normal for a Fed tightening, and if there's enough of it, you get an inversion of the, uh, of the yield curve. Um, on your first question, I think the, I'm in the process of rethinking that myself. I was thinking before this <laughs> recent spate of data, came in and before the Brainerd announcement was made that the Fed might well would probably pull up shy of 5%. I think that looks less likely now. Uh, I think going over 5%, at least somewhat, is uh, more likely and maybe to 5.5% uh, yeah. depending on how the data come in. Lately, you know, they've been carrying a kind of a hawkish, hawkish message. Lots of jobs, lots of spending. Right. Uh, that definitely rhymes with what the market's trying to put their chips on, at least at the moment. Um, maybe we'll talk soon about uh, Brainerd's early tenure, Alan. Great to see you. Thank you. Alan Thank Blyder. you. Opening bell just coming up in about five minutes as we got futures uh, still in the red on the heels of retail sales. Don't go anywhere. Airbnb shares are up sharply in the pre-market and We'll be up most likely in two minutes when we start trading as well. The company beat analyst expectations with its quarterly results. It posted its first annual profit. Um, it gave great guidance. And on the earnings call yesterday, uh, Brian Chesky, the company CEO, express, expressed optimism about current travel demand. Looking forward, we're already seeing some really strong demand in Q1. Consumer confidence to travel remains really high. I think part of that is like, no matter what happens in the world, you know, people want to travel, you know, and for many people, the office is now Zoom, the mall is now Amazon, the theater is now Netflix, and so travel is going to become a very important way that people experience the world this year. And so therefore, this is going to be an exciting year for Airbnb. Cross-border nights booked grew 49% year over year. That was 44% of gross nights booked. Also, they're controlling costs, guys, which of course, as we know, for any number of stocks or companies has been a path to success, at least in the stock market of late. Yeah, it's a theme with the uh, the class of 2020 or 2021 and new listings as Airbnb was. I'm kind of, you know, dogmatic about looking at two-year charts like we see right here, just to see uh, the whole life cycle here. So it's going to open up around, you know, 130. Uh, it was last spring, last May, where you really had that uh, that stock buckle pretty bad, right? Stagflation concern. Also, there was a sense out there that we had a relatively fleeting resurgence of travel demand. You had the revenge travel theme. Now it seems like, at least Chesky's arguing, 
that maybe there's a structurally higher appetite for travel uh, than we saw before. He was talking, I think, about seeing Europeans book their summer vacations already. So it seems like they're in the mix. Nice to be profitable. Certainly you have questions about the valuation, uh, even for the leader uh, in, uh, you know, in non-hotel lodging. Yeah. Bunch of price target increases today. Uh, Needham, Susquehanna, Wells, all in the 155, 165 range. I think only Goldman reiterated their sell, although they did take their target up to 98. There's the opening bell, uh, CNBC real-time exchange at the big board. It is China-focused ETF provider Crane Shares, and at the NASDAQ, Intuitive Machines focused on space exploration. By the way, a couple of the travel names. TripAdvisor did have upside on EPS, uh, EBITDA, and revenue. I think they were up 10% uh, pre-market, because there was a concern uh, that uh, Others would have the stumble that, say, Expedia had yes. last week. And by the way, Marriott got downgraded today over at Evercore. Just, um, just I think, on valuation. Exactly. Here. I was going to say, Marriott had a great day yesterday after their results. It's been on a nice run. We talked about Avis budget as well. So this theme of travel-related uh, services names have, uh, have been a strong uh, area. And yeah, with the TripAdvisor, it's, it's, it's a little bit noisy when it comes to the OTAs for the, the, the booking networks. Priceline, clear winner, the others struggling around the edges. There's some sense out there that, you know, low vacancy rates, when you have a strong lodging market, you don't have as much inventory, and so the power goes to the, to the hotel operators. But I still think that that's a, a relatively strong current throughout the economy. You know, we saw the uh, stronger than expected retail sales, monthly retail sales this morning. People are, you know, poking some holes in it, saying, look, it's still trailing CPI uh, still looks like it seasonally uh, got some help, but it's, it's stronger than expected. Uh, and there's much more spending than we anticipated. Every category was positive. Exactly. Uh, I don't know if you saw department stores up 17. Yeah. Uh, so maybe consumers were, were clearly waiting for after the new year to to dive into some sales, it right? take advantage like of bloated inventories or something. But also, it was, it was very weak in the fourth quarter, so you have this comeback, and so you couldn't extrapolate the weakness of last year. And you know, also at the, at the, the bank conference yesterday, uh, you had all the bank CEOs saying, look, savings and checkings account balances are still above pre-pandemic levels. Consumer, we're not seeing it really uh, get worse in a hurry. So that leaves the question, what does that mean for the Fed and yields? Yields had their, their move in the immediate term anticipating the CPI. Since then, the direction of travel still been higher. It's still a test. We've still got the short uh, end of the curve, six month and one year, like 5%-ish. Uh, but it doesn't seem to be causing this, this real panicky move in yield. So for now, we're absorbing it in, in the stock market. And I know, but let's, I mean, for how but, long. but that number yesterday didn't do us any help in terms of at least the idea that the Fed is going to no. pause in some way at all. I mean, no. Are you surprised that we haven't seen more of a reaction? Then? What I think it really is, is a test of whether the stock market truly was anticipating and needed a Fed pivot to, to, to starting cut rates late in the year or not. And I would have argued no. I think what the market has needed is a line of sight to where the Fed's going to end up. Right. Now, we may not have that either. No, we may not. I mean, you heard Alan Blinder saying, right. I'm rethinking it, and I may go to five and a half. Yes. He wasn't even at five as the terminal rate. But, so. to, but to Mike's point, last time two year was here, we were 400 points lower on the S&P, right? Exactly. Yes. And so the don't fight the Fed argument has, it, it, it's hard to, to, to quibble with. It's hard to actually push back against it, except if you consider fighting the Fed to be owning stocks since last fall. <laughs> uh, when the Fed was still uh, raising rates, that hasn't necessarily been the automatic win. Um, look, I think that even if they have to go farther, it's at a slower pace. 
I keep saying they're moving a quarter point every six or seven weeks. They're not, they were moving three quarters of a percent every meeting last year, at, in the latter part of last year. And so I think you have time, you know, the, the frog boils slowly maybe, and, and we might end up at a place where they slow the economy too much, or the cost of capital goes too high, or our yields are too much of a competition for stock valuations or I mean, whatever. The, the weighted average cost of capital for your, you know, is up 250 basis yeah. points at least over the last year for most corporations. Exactly. So that's not insignificant. It's not. At all. Uh, and in fact, it may be one reason why we're starting to see some of these companies consider split offs and things of that That's nature because right. their capital structure can't quite support exactly what they're trying to there. Exactly. And, and I, but you could also spin that the other way and say, that's what the Fed's been wanting to do. That mm -hmm. lag, the slow kind of assimilation of a higher cost of capital is what is going to restrain the economy. So maybe they don't have to do more on the rate side, uh, as you might expect. So you can really bat these back and forth quite a bit. But I, I, I totally agree. We yeah. haven't really seen where that ends up in terms of uh, corporates. Bond spreads, incredibly tight and incredibly tame for where we are. Right. I don't know if that's because nominal growth in the economy is where it is, so your interest coverage isn't as hard. You've got sales growth all over the economy. So it's not that, it's not that much of a reckoning. That's yet. why Harvey over at Wells said uh, that the bear market's over because yeah. those, those, those spreads got so tight. Uh, and earnings haven't fallen apart, right. and the Fed is ostensibly at the end of the cycle. Sure, yeah. and, and we've rallied since uh, since the fall. There's look exactly you've rallied since fall, and you you never can make the declaration that a bear market's over until you are up 15, 20 percent off of it, right? The market kind of has to prove it that there's not going to be stresses, and maybe it's not the case. You know, we're still below where we traded in August. Let's keep that in mind. We topped at 4,300 on the S&P in August. Uh, and spreads were similarly tight as they are now. That's a good point. That's a good point. Getting back to stocks this morning, Chris, we started the show talking about Tesla. Those shares are up another 1.1% this morning as it kind of moves its way towards what could be a $700 billion market value again for that uh, yep. for the automaker. I got Apple up. I got Alphabet up. Guys, I also have uh, Paramount, a company I follow kind of closely. They'll be reporting numbers tomorrow. I believe it's before the open. Um, there's Paramount Global up 2%. Has been, you know, uh, well, you can see what it's done over uh, the year. Of course, it's been an incredibly strong year. Warner Brothers Discovery also incredibly strong. Questions here, though, are, especially after the Disney quarter, um, you know, linear cable networks, that is a tough business. Uh, and the declines continue. You're spending a lot of money on content to support, of course, your direct-to-consumer efforts, that being Paramount+. Plus. And you're still trying to maintain a dividend to keep your largest shareholder happy. That would be Sherry Redstone National Amusements. Something got to give here? Are there going to have to be cost cuts in some way? We'll see what we get tomorrow from Paramount. But kind of could be an interesting quarter, particularly in light of Disney, because the analysts who've revisited some of the numbers from linear cable networks at Disney and what they were saying in the commentary around it have sort of take their numbers down a bit more for what their expectations are for, their, for the cable networks. Obviously led by ESPN, but others as well. Uh, at Paramount, you got, you know, uh, Nickelodeon is the star of an MTV, BET, you know the lineup uh, there. But they still provide a lot of the cash uh, to help fuel the business. Sure. And you always come back to scale and whether they've got anywhere near enough of it. But a preview Another for tomorrow, we'll see. stocks that were in the, just the kind of discard bin at the end of last year. Yeah. They're big in every value index, all the deep. So they've come back, same Warner Brothers and and Paramount saying you know, they had huge companies, moves. all the, I know. that's that whole bucket. Why Berkshire owns so much of Paramount, I still am not quite sure. And added to it uh, in this latest they 13F. Did. They own yeah. a lot of it, uh, you know, most likely looking for consolidation, best I can come up yeah. with at this point. Did yeah. you see the video of Spielberg telling Tom Cruise at the Oscar luncheon that 
that uh, Top Gun single-handedly saved theatrical distribution? I did because you tweeted like it. it. That was yeah. great. That, that, that went viral. Also, to David's point, Insider has a survey, to, uh, a study today that says that adults will spend more time this year, it'll finally spend more time on digital video than you spend on linear TV. Uh, yeah. That's going to be a huge milestone. I've wondered if the idea that even the Netflixes and the Disneys are no longer in spend as much as you can mode, if mm -hmm. they're starting to say, look, we, we can't uh, kind of keep escalating this arms race, at the margin, that, that can't hurt a Paramount or a Warner Brothers Discovery just because, you know, you're no longer chasing uh, somebody that's uh, completely undisciplined. That is true. And, I mean, Warner Brothers Discovery, and, again, we'll get those numbers next week, uh, late next week, uh, sort of said we're out. I mean, in a way, like we're not playing that game and we're right. going to write down a bunch of stuff. We're not even going to let it be seen by anybody. Uh, and we're going to be a lot more disciplined. And that, you know, you listen, uh, Disney was less than a week ago. Three billion content co uh, cost cuts, and not from sports. So they're spending 16 billion on direct consumer. That's coming in. So yes, Mike, there's no doubt, and that may take some of the pressure off for Paramount. Sure. Did any of the 13 Fs? I know Tepper yeah. added some Disney, uh, cut some Meta. Did anything move you? Uh, Dave? No, I mean I always find some of those. It's always kind of interesting to see in the larger sort of sentiment around certain names, Carl. But it's so dated sometimes, especially for hedge funds that you know are moving in and out of things. I'm, I'm often, you know, like, are you still in that? Are you kidding me? No. Right. Like, I'm, I was out weeks ago. Why are you even asking me? Although so, I do think, speaking of Berkshire, I mean, Taiwan Semi is down 5.5% this morning. And um, it's interesting because they didn't trade it well by, the, by all appearances, right? Bought uh, in the third quarter. Uh, by the end of the fourth quarter, I sold most of it. It was up over that period, but since the end of the fourth quarter is when Taiwan Semi's had uh, really a nice move. Uh, it is up, you know, even with the decline today at 24 percent. So, uh, there, but there was a sense out there that um, the sort of Berkshire endorsement was working to its favor to Taiwan Semi. Just this idea, uh, you know, one thing Berkshire buys is crucial infrastructure, you know, around this country in terms of pipelines and utilities Shovels. and railroads yeah. and things like that. And the idea that maybe they viewed and who knows if it's Buffett, about, you know, probably isn't, right? It's probably the investment No, manager. that's right. So, but nonetheless, uh, that's a little bit of a, of a step back in terms of sentiment around Taiwan Semi, even though the overall story seems still pretty good. Yeah. Speaking of uh, semis, Morgan Stanley with a great note out today about ChatGPT. And they say in every new cycle, uh, we see new bubbles. However, the hype around generative AI may be justified and the technology feels genuinely exciting. We haven't had an app scale at this pace in history. And they got a nice chart about platforms uh, that try to that get to a million user base. Uh, five days in the case of Chat. Yeah. No, nothing's ever come close. Uh, Instagram, I think, took months. It is fascinating. Um, and, and also the sense and it's articulated in this report as well that not that much needs to be built from scratch here. It's almost as if all the big companies had their chips, you know, in this area. They've done a lot of the, the kind of baseline spending. It's obviously the cloud infrastructure that you have in NVIDIA on the processing side. So it's more just about you know, emphasizing it more. You've got consumer adoption. You have every company that realizes they're getting rewarded for seeming AI adjacent or friendly. And so maybe you get this spending cycle. I mean, in terms of the adoption of ChatGPT, I don't know. Um, for Instagram, I see you have to download an app. You're, you're a user in a, in a more defined way, as far as I'm concerned, as opposed to visiting the site and having it write your term paper for you. But nonetheless, uh, there's no doubt that there's some momentum behind it. I do think that that's a big story behind the NVIDIA move. It's down a cent and a half this, uh, 
this morning. But um, the move, it's had back to about a $600 billion market cap as well. Um, and again, back up to 50 times earnings. It's all of a sudden allowed people to have those open-ended um, fundamental storylines come back into play. Uh, whether justified or not, that's where we are. I mean, Roblox was certainly one of those kinds of names yeah. back in, where was it, in the uh, late part of 2021 when it soared, and then, of course, a precipitous fall. But this morning, those shares were up over 20%. Uh, you can see it there, almost 24%. Revenue was up 2% year-over-year, 3% year-over-year on a constant currency basis. Uh, net cash, $119.2 million. Free cash flow, only negative $38 million. Bookings up 17% year-over-year and 21% year-over-year on constant currency. Average daily users uh, up 19%. And even hours of engagement, all the metrics investors like to look at were positive, yeah. and perhaps more positive than had been anticipated. For sure. And, and again, we, we showed the two-year chart. So many charts look like that. And it's not a negative way. They're way off those highs, but they've been kind of going sideways. You see that kind of curling higher from that base. And, and so it's, to me, it's not so much, okay, let's dial it back and we're going to have another speculative tech run and all the young, less profitable companies uh, are going to be at the center of it. It's just that they're just going to be less a source of downside pressure. A lot of valuation has been taken out of it. And now you're figuring out the ones that have real businesses versus not. In a related space, uh, Vox has an interesting piece today getting a hold of a leaked memo out of Meta in which the uh, chief marketing officer basically says uh, that they remain at the whim of Apple uh, despite trying to clear some of that roadblock uh, through uh, in the ad market. And also adds that, you know, I believe in this company, but we are still early in this turnaround. Not everything will pan out. Uh, even as uh, the stock obviously has had a Tesla-like run off the lows. It has had a great run. And, and look, I mean, a lot of that run is based on the actual results. So it's not as if people are trying to uh, anticipate that Apple's becoming more friendly and the privacy and targeting stuff is becoming easier. But yeah, a little, a little bit of a give back here after, after you did have the run. Certainly not as cheap as it was. Uh, certainly not as cheap on a relative basis compared to Alphabet as it was. So I, I think it's a little more, uh, a little more of a close call uh, up at these levels. I, I do think part of the bull case too was whatever the situation is with the Apple changes, you've anniversaried them, right? So if you're looking at this year versus last year, it's, it shouldn't get worse if nothing else. Right. Guys, uh, uh, quickly we'll uh, take a move into antitrust policy this morning. You may guys have both seen that um, that editorial from. Wow. Uh, yeah, from uh, uh, Commissioner Wilson at the uh, FTC, very critical of Lena Khan, calling it her disregard for the rule of law and due process, making it impossible for uh, Commissioner Wilson to continue uh, to serve. Uh, I have failed repeatedly to persuade Ms. Khan and her enablers to do the right thing, as uh, one of the things that was said uh, by Christine Wilson in her resignation editorial, if you want to call it that. Uh, and I refuse to give their endeavor any further handle legitimacy by remaining. For their part, by the way, uh, Lena Khan simply says they often disagreed, they respect her, and they wish her well. But of course, it does put up a, a focus on Lena Khan and the FTC overall, and you know what seems to be certainly their willingness to challenge so many things that uh, different administrations certainly, or even any other administration, would have not been the case, um, which gets you back to the market. CVS is two deals, whether it's Signify or OSH, both in the healthcare market, not trading with enormous spreads, not thought to be 
in the crosshairs per se of being significantly challenged. Unlike, for example, Amazon. Of course, we know Lena Khan made her uh, made her name by that long piece she wrote when she was at Yale about Amazon and antitrust. Um, iRobot is being reviewed by the EU. It's also um, expected to potentially face uh, challenges from the FTC. That's why that stock is trading at an enormous spread. Uh, and then, you know, real questions there about uh, One Medical. Even though, again, on the merits, it would not seem to be something that the law would support challenging. The question is, do they try and find a way? So there you see iRobot, right, 20 bucks below. You can take a look at Amazon as well. But guys, rare to see that kind of contentious back and forth. Of course, the FTC, there will be some openings there that will be filled by President Biden. That was, that was one spicy op-ed. It was. So I couldn't believe some of the things she was saying in print. No, yeah. it was it, uh, basically just saying that Lena Khan is breaking the law. Right. I mean, that's as simple as that. Uh, we spent countless hours seeking to uncover her abuses of government power. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I mean, I I'd mean, be yeah. curious if there was a, if there if it was just about um, you know that effort to, to essentially try to get documentation of that, or if there is a particular uh, transaction or investigation that is at the root of all. Yeah, unclear. It's I mean, unclear. she talks about sort of descending on due process grounds and the fact that she felt like Khan should have recused herself from a number of different um, a number of different regulatory uh, uh, focus or. Reviews, I should say, particularly one involving Meta's acquisition of Within, a virtual reality gaming company. Yeah, uh, Pretty fascinating, worth a read if you haven't looked at it. Uh, bonds now uh, lower, uh, yields lower across the board with the exception of the seven-year as uh, market uh, continues to digest uh, retail sales. We're not done with data for the day, by the way. Business inventories and NAHB coming up in just about 15 minutes. Not much to get too excited about looking at the Dow 30. You got four components on the green. Apple, Cat, Salesforce, and Cisco, by the way, uh, with earnings coming up tonight, along with uh, the likes of uh, Roku, Shopify, and Zillow. Don't miss our live interview with Cisco's Chuck Robbins tomorrow morning, 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Back in a moment. President Biden ramping up his push to tax stock buybacks. Kayla Tausche joins us now. She's got more on that. Kayla. Good morning, David. President Biden has taken frequent aim at corporate buybacks, but he's now beginning to train his fire on the stock issued to compensate executives that companies then use their capital to buy back. Yesterday, President Biden said supporting legislation nearly three decades ago that shifted compensation away from cash was one of his biggest regrets. Ninety one percent of all corporate execs are paid by in stock. Well, what's the one way to increase your salary? Buy back your stock. It raises the price of the stock, raise the value. <clears throat> and the shareholders and you do well. But guess what? <clears throat> you end up not investing in the, uh, on the thing you're engaged in. President Biden saying the road to hell is paved with good intentions, saying he regrets his vote to support the Clinton era law that limited to $1 million the amount of cash compensation tax deductible for a company. But a big loophole allowed companies to keep deducting performance based pay, largely based in stock. The issue gained attention after the financial crisis when think tanks like the Progressive Institute for Policy Studies found that Wall Street banks wrote off more than $2 billion in executive bonuses 
while receiving bailouts. That led to policy changes in the Tax Cut and Jobs Act with performance-based compensation above a million dollars getting taxed beginning in 2018. President Biden has proposed raising a tax on stock buybacks to 4% to slow some of this activity. Remember, there's already a 1% tax in place from last year's Inflation Reduction Act. But so far, guys, that hasn't made it done. You know, Kayla, it's it's been the case, I think, for a while that this this issue certainly seems to work for the administration on a political basis. She's sending a, ge a gesture against wealth inequality. It's a populist message. And even for, you know, pro-corporate interests to say, look, uh, stock-based compensation is within the prerogative of companies. It's an efficient way to use capital and get it back to uh, shareholders. Uh, and so it's not necessarily uh, an issue that really has high stakes unless the tax goes through. And I'm wondering if you think there is a decent prospect that something like a 4% uh, levy goes through, uh, gets through Congress on this. I think it depends on what it would be used to pay for, Mike. I mean, certainly that's always the other side of the ledger here. You are right that it is politically popular to place the blame on corporate America on um, you know, very wealthy executives, especially when the cost of everyday goods is still such a pain point uh, for Main Street America. It's something that polls well. It's something that's easy to do. But we'll see whether there's support in Congress, Carl, to actually go through with that. Yeah. Uh, and we've seen a bit of a split of uh, new buyback announcements versus executions uh, so far this year. That's been interesting. Kayla, thank you. Uh, Kayla sure. Tausche. Uh, weaker open here. Dow's down 200, uh, holding on to 4,100 once again. Uh, S&P's down 26. Don't go anywhere. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.